All right, uh, turn to your turn in your Bibles to the second letter of Peter, Second Peter. Um, if you have trouble finding Second Peter, here it comes. Ready? Here comes the joke. Here comes the favorite joke. If you have trouble finding Second Peter, it is right next to First Peter. That's right. That's right. So it's easy to find because there's two of them. Um, <clears throat> uh, did you know that some of the world's uh, wealthiest individuals, wealthiest individuals, um, actually spend a, a good bit of money on their personal security? Uh, actually, it, it seems as though they spend a lot of money on their personal security. Um, matter of fact, some, some billionaires um, spend, spend a lot of money on their own little personal uh, billion-dollar bunkers. Um, these secret rooms or panic rooms have everything you need to survive any sort of disaster in your life. They have ballistic-proof walls, ceilings. They have secret entrances through... Um, through uh, bookshelves, uh, staircases, and fireplaces, all the things that the great James Bond villain, villains have, right? Um, they have all they need for medical supplies and food and clothing. They have air filtering systems. Uh, they have surveillance systems like heat sensing surveillance systems so they can tell if there's a body in a room or on their property. Um, they have earthquake-resistant systems. They have fallout protection. They even have protection against some forms of chemical warfare. Um, they also have, like I said, all of the essentials that you need for life and existence. They have personal home theaters. Uh, they have family heirloom collections. Um, they have exercise facilities, food courts, and uh, jack-in-the-boxes as well. I may have made up that last one, but uh, all, all that you need for, for survival, everything you need for, for years, you can survive, some experts say, in these bunkers. For decades, one expert said, for, for generations, um, the, the website that I read, Forbes.com, said some people are prepared to last. I mean, nuclear holocaust is no joke, right? You want to be able to survive so that your children's children can walk out and and see a dandelion um, that has survived nuclear holocaust. Um, I got all of these facts actually from an article that's 10 years old. So you can only imagine what lengths some people are going to these days to uh, try to find some sort of security um, in their life. Do you think people are uh, less security crazy today than they were 10 years ago? Uh, probably not. They're probably more security-driven. Everybody wants security. Um, move, through, move to the next slide here. Just a minute. Let me see what the next slide is. Next slide. Here's a few uh, images. A few images of some um, fun little things you could add to your house for the low, low cost of $200,000. Uh, you could turn that ugly bookcase, that ugly bookcase into a doorway to enchantment. Uh, next slide. You could, um, you could turn this little corner that seems nondescript. It's really just a stone wall, but really it is the entry to your valuable pool table, right? Who doesn't want to keep their pool table safe? Uh, next slide. Um, or how about this? A secret entrance through that staircase that's, that nobody's thinking about. 
That's right. You can have security like this. Uh, next slide. Um, or how about this? Oh, this is one of my favorites. Look at that. You can find your guns through that bookshelf. Just pull out uh, um, that book that starts with the letter Q. There we go. Who wouldn't want that? Uh, next slide. This is one of my favorites. It's his, it's his playroom, but it, it leads to his other secret room. Oh, that's great. Uh, next slide. But most importantly, who does not want to have ultra security over their vehicles? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if the super rich are doing this, by the way. I just thought this was cool. There's a really cool video online where this guy tries to throw all of the, all of the things that he has in his garage at this bubble wrap, and nothing breaks it. He even comes to the point where he throws a ladder at it, and it doesn't break. Well, that wasn't the most significant thing. But anyway, this is a very... Uh, some people are really big into uh, saving their cars from everything, including the enjoyment of using their cars. So they put them in bubble wrap, but anyway. Um, but everybody is, is calling for security, right? Everybody wants security. We, we even, even on a lower scale, have all of these things that we need to be security conscience, uh, conscious about too, don't we, right? We're called to get home security. We're, we're called to get uh, social security number security, right? We're called to get uh, internet security. We need banking security, especially these days. We need FDIC banking security. We perhaps are called to get personal security. Maybe you're thinking about one day having a concealed carry permit, if you can get one, right? Or maybe even one day you think you're so important that you're going to need your own personal bodyguard. That also is available to you. What about pest security, right? We all want pest security. I don't want any pests in my backyard or in my house. What about weed security, right? I want to be secure against weeds because they're invasive, right? We need weed security. We want uh, neighborhood security, right? Some people, maybe some of you even, live in gated communities where you block out all evil and all crime (laughs) from your neighborhood. National security. We all want national security, right? Maybe my government will protect me from all wrong, right? If we give them enough money. We also need end-of-life security. What about your family? Once you get vaporized in nuclear holocaust, what's going to happen to them? I'm going to lead a personal life insurance policy so that they can live happy, high on a hog for two years. Uh, on that, right? But uh, how important to you, and this is where we transition, how important to you is su- spiritual security, right? Spiritual security. If, if we are to measure the value of something based on how long it lasts, yes, life is valuable. We're made in the image of God for sure. But what about your eternal life? You are someone that will exist for eternity. Have you spent much time investing in your spiritual security. Well, thankfully for you, the letter of 2 Peter is written for spiritual security. It's written to, uh, to increase your spiritual security, to ensure spiritual security of God's people. Those, those who faithfully take in the message of 2 Peter are also adding to their own personal security. Let's... Um, do a few uh, uh, just kind of introductory questions. You can move to the next slide. Um, just to kind of get you familiar with the book, the setting, um, who it's from, where it's to, those kinds of questions. First off, uh, who is it from? It's from, you guessed it, the Apostle Peter. Uh, but actually, some people uh, debate this, of course, because they debate every single thing in the Bible. But yes, I am convinced it is written by the Apostle Peter. He is, he is that most beloved um, disciple that we all love, right? Because he is so obviously weak, like you and I. And that's why we love the Apostle Peter. He is probably now approaching the final days of his life. They're becoming old, maybe within a few weeks or months of, of his departure 
Um, but he is fulfilling uh, the commission, the personal commission that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to him to shepherd the flock of God. Even on his, in his last days, he is continuing to feed Christ's sheep with letters of protection like this. Who is it written to? Well, um, 3 verse 1 of Second Peter indicates that this is the second letter that he is writing. And, and although he does not ever specify who exactly he is writing to, that kind of gives us a hint, right? This is the second letter. <laughs> So, do we know of any other letters written by Peter? Well, if you know your Bible, Second Peter, First Peter, maybe. Uh, so, so perhaps, and there's a strong case to be made that this is the second letter he is writing to the same group of people. That would be Asia Minor believers, those people in north northeast Turkey, abouts. And and uh, when is he writing to them? Well, it seems as though. Um, there's something imminent that's happening. There's an imminent danger. Um, but the imminent danger of persecution that he dressed in First Peter seems to not be as much of his concern. It might still be going on. But there is a new danger. Maybe the persecution has ended and a new danger has come. So that leads us to our other question, why? Why does he write? Why does he write? Well, he writes to alert uh, his readers of the spiritual danger of false teachers. Matter of fact, you could say that uh, 1 Peter is written uh, concerning the danger of persecution, and 2 Peter is written concerning the danger of false teachers. And, And maybe perhaps at this time in church history, maybe persecution is beginning to dwindle, maybe it's beginning to go away a little bit, and then that's always when false teachers seem to be more comfortable in the church, right? When when your skin isn't on the line, suddenly you're more comfortable, right? Especially if you're a fake and you're a phony. Um, both Jude, the letter of Jude that's kind of near the, the end of your Bible, near Revelation, and Second Peter have a lot of similarities in the dangers that they that they present uh, uh, in false teachers. So some people, I, my, myself included, uh, think that they're both addressing the same issue. But it's interesting if you look at it, Second uh, Peter is talking about false teachers who are in the future, who are coming soon. But Jude is talking about them as though they are already there. He's using present tense tense language. So they're both kind of addressing the same issue from different perspectives, though. Peter's saying they are coming. Jude is saying they are here. Um, and the point is basically that, that Peter is going to make here in this letter, uh, false teachers rob believers of their spiritual security. They rob believers of their spiritual stability. And you need security against such false teaching. They, they, ruin, they ruin the believer's peace and they ruin the believer's uh, assurance. Why? Because they ruin the believer's knowledge of the gospel by by destroying the message of the gospel by by weakening the gospel they weak assurance that that is what false teachers often do matter of fact look in in second peter right now second peter one uh one through two we'll just read those two first verses it says simon peter a slave and apostle of jesus christ to those who have received the same kind of faith as ours by the righteousness of our god and savior jesus christ Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Notice, notice what, is, what is Peter writing about? What is his desire? What is his concern? It is that grace and peace may be multiplied to his believer. And, and I would say it like this, right? False teachers 
corrupt the grace of the gospel. They corrupt the grace of the gospel, the knowledge that, that we have the righteousness of Christ uh, on us, covering us before God. And then we have, as a result, perfect peace with God. Notice what he says there in verse 1. Uh, to those who have received the same kinds of faith as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is Peter basically saying, here's the gospel, that you have received the righteousness of God by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ. That is what the gospel provides. That is the grace of the gospel. And and Peter wants to encourage them in the grace of the gospel. That's why he starts out that way. But notice also, he wants them to be encouraged in the the peace that the gospel brings to your life, right? That's what what he's saying there, right? Grace and peace be multiplied. This is what I'm after in this letter. I want to multiply grace and peace to you. That's my prayer to you as I am writing to you. But false teachers want to corrupt the grace of the gospel, verse 1, and that will lead to a disruption in your diligence. That's what you see in chapter 1. And as a result, that will ruin your assurance, as you see in verse 1. We'll look at all of that in a moment, but for now, I just want to outline what Peter says. What is the, the basic message of Second Peter? And, and we'll just, we'll just We'll just say two things here. He, he gives two key strategies to um, spiritual security against false teachers. So here's, here's what we're going to talk about. Write down these two key strategies against uh, false teachers. Two key strategies for spiritual stability. Uh, you can move to the, the next slide here. Um, strategy um, number one, sec, uh, first key. Uh, number one, guard yourself. Guard yourself against false teaching. Guard yourself against false teaching and teachers. And just to kind of give you kind of an overview of the entire letter, actually, turn all the way to the end. Sometimes as the writer gets near the end of his letter, letter he, he summarizes things really well. And I see a good summary of the letter here in chapter 3, verse 17. A matter of fact, in my Bible, I have, I have circled this because this is very significant in my mind in reading through Second Peter. He says in verse 13 about guarding yourself against uh, false teachers, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest you, having been carried away by the error of unprincipled men, fall from your own steadfastness. Now notice first year you in the original is 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 a um, independent pronoun. It's an independent pronoun in English, but in, in Greek when it's an independent pronoun, it's very significant. It emphasizes a contrast. You are in contrast to those. Um, you are the the beloved that Peter is writing to, and and these beloved people are in contrast to those who in verse sixteen twist the scripture to their own destruction. And also you know this beforehand. This whole entire letter has been warning of these false teachers. You, therefore, knowing the danger, uh, able, you are able to guard yourself against this danger because you know this beforehand. Matter of fact, in Second uh, Peter 3, uh, 1 and 2, he talks about how the Old Testament warns us of the danger of false teachers. Uh, the apostles, all the apostles warned us of the danger of false teachers. And Jesus himself also warned of the danger of false teachers. The Bible is full of warnings from cover to cover about the danger of false teachers so that we can what? Guard ourselves. Be on guard against false teachers. What, what, is, what is the danger of false teachers? Well, look back in verse 17. Having been carried away, um, you... 
there's a danger. Fall from your own steadfastness. Fall is, is a term that's referring to departing from the faith, uh, leaving Christ, forsaking Christ, saying, I don't know him. It's, it's denying Christ, maybe out loud to someone who has a gun to your head or in your own heart as you give in again and again to sin. I do not know Christ. That is, is what falling away means. But here it's not just returning to sin in, in a momentary instance. It is, it, is a, it is a firm and final and fixed departure from Christ. I am turning from Christ intentionally and I never plan to return again. That is what falling away here. It is, it is leaving Christ, a very, a very dangerous moment in a person's life. And notice how Peter describes it himself. You fall from your own what? Steadfastness. Steadfastness is like a, a firm conviction of something. It, it can also refer to like a stable ground that you're standing on. When you fall away from Christ, you, you, you fall away from your firm conviction in your mind and your heart about who Christ is and what he says, right? That's what falling away is. I no longer believe who Christ is or what he says. I no longer believe the Bible. That is what, that is the danger that you see here. But why is this so dangerous? No, notice, you, you fall away because something has happened to you uh, that these false teachers bring. Um, you, it says earlier in the verse, having been carried away by the error of pr- unprincipled men. You, you are carried away by these men, right? You, you're, you're drawn after them. There is actually something inside of you that... that, 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 that follows them with joy and delight. You say, these men have wisdom. I'm going to follow them. There is a, a personal sense of departure. There, you are pulled not just by their enticements, but you're pulled away by your, your very own sinful desires inside of yourself. That's, that's why you follow after uh, false teachers. They give you an opportunity to follow sinful desires. And maybe it's an unpopular interpretation, but this is what we see here, right? You, you, you fall away when you do not properly prepare yourself and, and protect yourself against error. You also fall away, though, because of something inside of you that seems to have never changed, ever. Matter of fact, Peter says of the false teachers themselves in chapter 2, verse 22, uh, the message of them of the true proverb has happened about these men. Who, who are they? They are a dog that returns to their own vomit. Um, they are a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Well, why does a dog return to its vomit? Why does a sow, just a pig, wash again in the mire after washing? Well, because nothing has changed inside of that, inside of that creature, right? It's still a dog that still eats its own vomit. And it's still a pig that enjoys washing. And it may be clean for a time. But in the end, there's nothing internally different about that individual. And perhaps this is the story about the the true case of the person who falls away as well. They may look like a Christian for a long period of time. They may seem to bear fruit. But in the end, they return because nothing has changed in their heart. They've never been regenerated. This This is who people are that fall away. They are just simply manifesting the truth that they were never truly saved to begin with. They are a pig returning to... The mire. How do you guard, though? That's that's the question. That's the question you should be asking, right? I don't. I don't want to be this. I want to be someone who's alert, who's attentive, 
who, who's not drawn away, carried away by the enticements of false teachers? How do I guard myself? Well, Peter's whole letter is, is basically written to help you guard. And matter of fact, it kind of reads like, uh, have, have any of you ever seen those, uh, those warning or wanted posters for like criminals? Is, is it just like an old West thing? Wanted, dead or alive? <laughs> dead would be preferable, right? Um, you know, if you see that guy's face, suddenly you start seeing his face everywhere. And, and every cop show I've ever seen, it's always when you put the, the, the criminal's face up on the TV that somebody in a convenience store 10 miles away will recognize the face and the face of the guy who's about to check out with some bubble gum right in front of him, right? So it, it's very effective. But what, is, what do these wanted posters do? They create in you a guardedness, don't they? I, I have that face in my head, and so I'm looking around, and if I see anybody with that same face, I'll recognize them, right? That's how Peter is, Peter's letter works here, right? It is, it is putting out kind of a, a warning poster. Keep on the lookout for such individuals as this. That is what guardedness is. I, I am watching for certain characteristics. I'm watching for a certain look. And this is actually what he does. Number one, uh, he says, now jump, jump back over to 2 Peter 2, verse 1, as he, he kind of shows you how to guard. He, he first says, know, know something about these, these false teachers. Know, number one, their imminence. Know their imminence. Know that they are coming soon. Once again, the Bible is full. The Bible is full of warnings about false teachers. You could look in Acts chapter 20, where the Apostle Paul is warning of false teachers. You could look in 2 Timothy 3, where the Apostle Paul is warning about false teachers. You could look in, in the Olivet Discourses, that's Jesus' uh, sermons on the Mount of Olives, where he is warning about false teachers. You could even look all the way back in Deuteronomy, where Moses is warning about false prophets and false teachers. It is full in the Bible of warnings about false teachers they're they're going to come they're going to come soon peter writes in in second peter 2 verse 1 they are coming in secretly matter of fact look at what he says here uh, false prophets also arose among the people in the past just as they will there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce uh, destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Notice they're, they're coming with, with a sneakiness about them, and their doctrine is a little sneaky, but they will come, be sure of this. Their heresy is, is not, is not, is not uh, undangerous. It is deadly. It is destructive. They are going to, verse 2 says, lure away many by their heresy. That's why you should be guarded against false teachers. Know their eminence, number one, but also another a way to guard is also know their tactics. And you see this a bit in verse 2 and 3. Let's just read that. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago, though, is, is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. But just notice that um, they will follow their sensuality, many will follow their sensuality, and many will follow their greed. Um, how do they pursue their greed? I'm assuming this is the false teacher's greed. And how do these false teachers pursue their sensuality? What are the tactics they use to pursue these things? Well, they will use and misuse the truth to gain their lusts, won't they? 
That is greed. They will use and misuse the truth to gain their sensual desires, right? And they will mock, they will mock even warnings of judgment for their behavior. Matter of fact, that's what 2 Peter 3 talks about. These men will mock future judgment. Why? Because they're greedy. Because they are ruled by sensuous desires on the inside, right? I want, I want what feels good for me. That's what he says. And these are their tactics. They'll say anything they can to justify their greed, and they'll say anything they can to justify their lusts and their desires. Know their imminence. Know their tactics. Another, another way to be guarded against them is to know their end. This is encouraging. To remember that their judgment is sure. That God knows their ways and that he is going to judge them. And, and knowing that will even will even sharpen our defenses against them. But, but notice what Peter says. First off, he says there in verse 3, the second half, I, I read it for you, the judgment from a long ago, their judgment from a long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. It may seem idle. It may seem like the Lord Jesus Christ is doing nothing. It may seem that the Lord Jesus Christ is asleep and letting these men run rampant through his people, but it's not. But he is not, right? Their destruction, their judgment is from long ago. It's already set. They are already under the judgment of God. In fact, if you pull the theology from all the Bible together, their falsehood and their pursuit of falsehood is itself a judgment from God in hardening their hearts. And though they mock this judgment, that very heart that mocks the judgment is the judgment of God, because God doesn't sleep, because God's judgment is certain, secure. Matter of fact, in verses four through nine, I would love to walk through you, uh, walk through these verses with you, but I but I can't. But just notice four through nine. There's a bunch bunch of ifs before your verses. If if this happened in in history, and if if Sodom and Gomorrah happened in history, and if this great judgment happened in history, and if this thing happened in history, then it ends in verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous, uh, keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. This is just one big long if then statement of assurance. You know their end. If God has done this in the past, if God has rescued the righteous from trials, but if God has held the wicked under judgment, then you can be sure that their judgment is sure. It is coming. It is certain. You know their end. And once again, this encourages you in your gardenness, right? I don't want to have anything to do with those individuals. Judgment is already on them, right? Know their imminence, know their tactics, know their end. How about this? Know their character. Know their character. He lists many descriptions of these false teachers in this letter. And, and just to kind of give you an unhelpful slide, <laughs> because slides shouldn't have more information than you can physically write at one moment. Uh, go to the next slide really quick. Here you go. This is what Second Peter says about false teachers. Notice, uh, they will look like Christians for a season. They will even, notice that, sound like Christians for a season. All right there, 316, they're quoting they're quoting the Apostle Paul. They're twisting the words of the Apostle Paul to their own destruction. They'll look like Christians. They'll sound like Christians. But they will inevitably follow after their sensuality. They will inevitably follow after their greed and their desires for greed, right? 
Or how about this? He also says they will despise authority in 2 verse 10. They will despise authority. They will not want anybody to tell them what to do but what they want to do. Does that sound familiar? They despise authority. If you ever see somebody who just wants to be all by himself and doesn't have anybody around him, anybody speaking to his life, there could be uh, indications that something bad is happening with that individual. They will twist the Bible. You kind of already saw that. They will lead astray immature Christians. You'll see that as well. Um, They will speak with arrogance and they will speak with pride. You see that in chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, They will boast. This is very fascinating. If you look in chapter... uh, Sorry... Yeah, no, they, that's two, 219. If you look in chapter 219, they will boast of their freedoms while at the same time being enslaved within. They will boast of freedoms while being enslaved to sin within. Um, they will mock the Lord's return. You see that in 3, three through 4. And then they will even deny Jesus his lordship. Matter of fact, that last one might be the most significant that pulls it all together, right? They deny the lordship of Christ, ultimately. The only lord of their life is them. And who does that sound like? That sounds like an unregenerate unbeliever, right? Somebody who says, there is no Lord but me. That is a false teacher. That is what Second Peter says about false teacher. Know their character. But also, um, know their danger. Know their danger. Know that they can lead astray um, immature Christians. That is why they're dangerous. Matter of fact, he says in chapter 2, verse 17, these are springs without water. Huh? What is an image? What an image like that, right? They are springs. You say, hey, I know that there's a spring over there. We just have to walk two days to get to it. And we have about a day and a half of water supply left. But because I know that there's a spring of water over there on the other side of that canyon, we'll risk it because it's worth it. But they are springs without water, right? They lure people astray with lies. They are springs without water. They are mists driven by a storm. Um, Verse 18 For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they enticed by sensual lusts of the flesh those who barely escape from the ones who conduct themselves in error. Notice they they take advantage of people that are immature believers, and there is a bit of some there is a bit of a sense that these immature believers eventually escape through the providence and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they barely escape. They they are like Lot in Sodom, barely surviving with nothing, with nothing but the clothes on their back, spiritually. They, they escape with, with nothing. And they promise them, verse 19, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Notice these men, these men promise freedom, they promise water, they promise spiritual health, and in the end they ruin themselves in eternal destruction, and those who follow them are ruined as well. Know their danger. These men will destroy you. They prey on immaturity, unmortified sin in your life. And they always, they always are never truly regenerate in the end. Verse 22, once again, they are like a dog that returns to its own vomit. A sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Know their danger. But also, and maybe perhaps the most important thing, know their contrast. Know their contrast. The best defense against forgery is not to study every single kind of forgery out there. You will be studying dollar bills until you're blue in the face, or $100 bills until you're blue in the face. The best thing to do to know the truth from error is to study the truth. Know the truth. 
And this is what Peter essentially says. And know the word of God. Matter of fact, he begins this warning about false teachers in chapter 1, verses uh, 20 and 21, with talking about true prophecy. No prophecy is from one's own interpretation. If someone comes to you with their own interpretation that is against the, the prophecy and the prediction of Scripture that doesn't come true or something like that, then know that they are not of the truth. Because of the word of God is not by one's own interpretation. Verse 21 of chapter 1, no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. When you hold God's word in your hand, you hold truth in your hand. And the closer you hold that in your hand and in your heart, the more you'll be able to recognize errors and the lying men who spread them as well. Know their contrast. Know their contrast. Matter of fact, the word knowledge in Second Peter is a huge word. If you read through Second Peter, you'll see knowledge again and again and again. And this isn't some sort of spiritual, like, I, I have this, this truth within me kind of spiritualism of the, the Gnostics in the, the old days. This is knowing the word of God, knowing the truth of God's word, so that you are easily able to defend yourself against false teaching, right? I, I was listening to a podcast just this last week, and, and, and the speaker just kind of off the cuff just said, you know what, the, one of the best ways to, to catch error is just to read the context of the verse that they're quoting and speaking about, right? Just read the whole entire chapter when somebody is harping on one little verse in the middle of it, right? The best uh, defense against Error is to know your Bibles. That's why we spend so much time talking about what the Bible actually says. To know, your, to know the Word of God is a, a great defense against error. And Peter, notice this, spends a lot of time talking about negative defenses, right? You, you need to know what sin is. You need to know what error is. You need to know what these men look like so that you can defend yourself against them. And that should be an encouragement to us, right? Don't, don't despise negative, polemical, that's, that's a sermon that has like an argument against something just because you don't like being negative. Don't despise these kinds of sermons. The, the Bible is full of these kinds of messages. We should be thankful for them. Why? Because it shows sin as sin. It also exposes men who speak false teaching and women that speak false teaching as well, right? We shouldn't be opposed to negativity, right? It is, it is important. The Word of God models it for us as well. But there is a, a huge second key that I would almost say is almost more significant, more significant to um, defending yourself against false teachers. So let's, let's look at the second key, the, the second key strategy for spiritual security against false teachers is not only do you want to guard yourself against them, but you also, number two, want to grow. You need to grow yourself. You need to grow up in the Christian faith. You need to pursue sanctification. You need to grow in knowledge, in virtue, in self-control. You need to grow spiritually. You need to have a spiritual backbone so that you can stand and resist such error as these men or women will bring up. Matter of fact, here, here I'll sum up, sum up 2 Peter in three words. Are you ready? Guard by growing. I would say that is what 2 Peter actually is saying. You guard actually the best by, not just being guarded, but also by growing up in your faith. 
Growing in, in the knowledge of your faith, in the understanding of what truth is, but also growing in your own personal discipline, your self-control, your sanctification. You guard by growing. This is how Peter begins the letter. Notice chapter 1. Um, two through three, he talks about the great divine power that has been granted to us pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them uh, we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Notice, how do you defend yourself? You, you become partakers. You grow up by the promises of God. And then verse 5, right? For this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control and in your self-control, uh, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in whom these things are not present, that one is blind, being nearsighted, having forgotten the purification from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and your choosing sure. For in doing these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Notice this is the emphasis right out of the gates. Peter says, grow up so that what? You will never stall, you will never stall, you never stumble, you will never, you will never be blindsided by some error, and you will, you will enter the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ with eagerness and with joy. But that comes from growing up, and God has given you every resource to do that. God has given you the ability to grow up spiritually. It's a wonderful thing. This is the emphasis of the beginning of the letter. And notice this also, it's the emphasis of the end of 2 Peter as well. Turn back over to 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3, of course, he is talking, he's talking about those people who mock the Lord's return. 2 Peter 3, 3, following their own lusts, they will, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all continue, just as it was from the beginning of creation until now. That's, that's a typical mocker, right? Where, where is Christ? I don't see him. But notice in contrast to all of this, in in 3.14, Beloved, since you are looking for these things, be diligent to be found in him. There you go. That's growth language. Be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless, and blameless. Consider the patience of our Lord as what? Salvation. You could say it like this. The, The more you grow spiritually the more firmly you'll hold on to Christ. And regardless of what happens or or what words are said about Christ or what lies are spoken against Christ, you will hold firmly to Christ and you will eagerly look forward to him. So growth is huge. Matter of fact, this is how Peter ends his letter as well. Look at 3 verse 18. Some of you maybe snuck a look earlier and you figured out my outline. Bam. But here it is, right? It's a surprise outline, right? You are to guard yourself, verse 17, but also verse 18. But in contrast to falling away, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.
See, see how the whole letter pulls together through spiritual growth. You guard by growing, don't you? Matter of fact, you could do kind of an outline of Second Peter like this. You could think about Second Peter like this. Only if you diligently pursue the growth that he's talking about in chapter 1. Will you be able to guard yourself against the false teaching of chapter 2? And, as a result, because of your diligence, you will be more and more spotless and blameless for the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be eager for his coming. And that's what he talks about in chapter 3. Think about that again, right? Only if you diligently pursue the growth that Peter calls you to in chapter 1, will you be able to perceptively guard yourself against the false teaching of chapter 2. And as a result of perceptively guarding yourself against false teachers, you will increase in godliness, spotlessness, blamelessness. Remember, we read that verse in chapter uh, 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 3, verse 14, right? You will be waiting for him in peace, in blamelessness and spotlessness. And what is the experience of waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ in growth? You will be eager for his coming. You will be eager for his coming. That's Second Peter, right? Grow, guard, and have eagerness. Although that last one doesn't fit as well, right? That is Second Peter in a nutshell. Uh, why grow spiritually? I think, I think I've pretty much made the case for why you want to, but let me just say one more time. If you do not grow spiritually, you will be easy prey to sin's corruption and sin's desire, right? If you do not grow spiritually, you will give way to temptation. If you do not grow spiritually, you are walking blind against liars and those who twist the truth. If you do not grow spiritually, you will soon stumble. Remember chapter 1 verse 10, right? Those who do not grow spiritually will stumble, but those who grow spiritually will not stumble. But with growth, what do you have? If you grow, your vision will be sharp and discerning. You'll be able to see error clearly, and from afar you'll have this beautiful Christian grace called discernment. You will stumble less and less over the same sins in your life. This is not perfection. This is sanctification. You'll stumble less and less. And you will become increasingly eager for our Lord Jesus' coming. Right, And that in itself is sanctifying. The more you are sanctified, the more sanctification compounds and results in your life. And that is what 2 Peter has to urge us in. Guard your faith by growing in your faith. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for um, this sweet little letter that encourages us, sharpens us, alerts us to the danger, but also grows us in our defenses. We pray that we would put on these things. I pray that these students would put on these things, have a desire and an eagerness to do this, not just for fear, but also for delight in you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.